0: Hello, I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Dock Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Rick and Joni Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605 692 1430. With us today is Dr. Kelly Evans to answer your medical questions. Dr. Evans' specialty is internal medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Evans. Good morning, Laura. Thanks for being here with us this morning. My pleasure. We are talking this week about our lungs and the many, many things that go with our lungs. Dr. Evans, we are experiencing some cold weather today. And when we step outside on a cold day like this, sometimes we really feel it in our lungs. So you always do such a great job of explaining to us how our body works. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could explain to us what's happening in our lungs that we're feeling when we go out on these cold days and we're breathing that cold air.
1: Well, I mean, part of it really is just the temperature, you know, like our lungs, like any internal surface of our bodies is used to closer to body temperature. Um, Our respiratory systems are designed to warm up the air before it gets to our lungs. Lungs. So, um, you know, if you've ever seen a model of the internal structure of a nose, for example, like most, many of us spend much of our time breathing through our nose. There's these little turbinates, which are kind of, um, picture like a conch shell sort of shaped structures that are in the the posterior part of our nose and as air travels through there it has to travel through this extra surface to be exposed to body temperature to warm up warm up warm up before it ever makes it to our lungs so our bodies are designed to try to regulate the temperature before it gets there but you know when it's if it's below zero outside and you take a deep breath through your mouth it doesn't have time to do that so it really probably is just the temperature that you notice. Some people, certainly people with asthma or sort of on the spectrum of asthma, do have some degree of reactivity to that. So a lot of asthmatics will find that cold is a trigger for their asthma and might even take a puff of their inhaler before they leave the the house on a day like today just because they will get some spasm of those muscles within, within their airways in reaction to the cold.
2: Got
0: it. I yeah. knew you'd have a great explanation. <laughs> I learned so much. Okay, so our nose has this built-in system to kind of warm up the that. Air, yeah, but yeah. There's so there's cold. a system for
1: that. <laughs> right. um, but you know, th- some sometimes where we live, the cold is too much for that even. Right.
0: <laughs> so similarly, it seems like going out and breathing some fresh air mm-hmm. uh, when it's not so cold <laughs> it really does us some good. What is that? How does that work? You know, going out and getting that. Fresh air. Yeah, I
1: mean, it probably is just an air quality thing. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes I actually had a conversation on South Dakota Public radio yesterday with Lori Walsh about this. Sometimes fresh air is not so good, right? Mm-hmm. So we can think of all of these instances in the last few years where we've had bad wildfire smoke that's traveling over our part of the country and then the air quality is terrible and that's really actually bad for our breathing. So it just it probably depends on the actual air purity and quality. On days like that, probably being inside where you have an air conditioner with a filtration system is much better for your lungs than the outside air. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, it's it probably just has to do with air quality. Mm -hmm. And uh, more difficult for, again, people with asthma or other allergies, depending on things like the time of year and what kind of pollen is in the air and the humidity and all of those other factors.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned asthma a couple of times here. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I don't hear as much about asthma anymore. Maybe it's because I'm older and I'm not in school and seeing the kids with the inhalers and all Mm -hmm. those things. But tell us about the latest with asthma. Um, Mm -hmm. Do we have a pretty good grasp on that? I mean, asthma
1: it in the vast majority of cases is a very treatable condition compared to even you know 20 years ago so my my husband has asthma and had pretty bad asthma as a child and he grew up on a farm where he was allergic to everything oh and so he had a difficult childhood with asthma was on steroids a lot and that was when he was young before Ster- inhaled steroids were widely available, um, which, and that's still the mainstay of treatment for asthma, is inhaled steroids. Um, and there's many different varieties of that out there. I won't try to list all of the the generic and brand names of inhalers and nebulizers but before that it really was like getting systemic steroids which we all know is not good for you if you have to do it a lot but that i mean that works for asthma and -hmm. then albuterol which is kind of the rescue inhaler the puffer that you'll see people using when they have wheezing or shortness of breath um but now, I mean if if we diagnose someone with asthma based on symptoms or breathing test or whatever, we have a lot of options and assuming that person can get their hands on the right things like most people are really able to keep their symptoms at bay there are like there's a spectrum of disease severity with asthma and so some people with asthma have to be on sort of stronger dose or or multiple sort of types of inhalers some of these are available in combination And some people even have to have things like systemic medications, injectable medications, Mm -hmm. depending on their type and severity of asthma. But you're right. I mean, treatment of asthma is a lot better now than it was 30, 40 years ago. Um, And so... it, it. it's good it's great for patients yeah. i mean we, we have a lot we have a lot of good treatment options
0: what is happening when people have asthma is it kind of an allergy type what, what's happening it, i
1: would what's say it, it's it's a similar sort of it, it's sort of the body having hyperreactivity where it shouldn't mm. so in asthma the sort of the what happens in all asthmatics is that the middle-sized airways so not like the trachea i'm pointing to my neck not these big airways and not the very ends of our lungs where air is exchanged but sort of the medium-sized airways the bronchioles get too tight so they they close shut um and that happens kind of by a process of swelling or hyperreactivity. so yeah i mean kind of like an allergic reaction okay. in some cases um and it happens in usually in response to something, but some you know sometimes it's it takes a cold for an asthma to have an ex- asthmatic to have an exacerbation. It can be many different things. Um, when that happens, interestingly. It's not such a problem with getting the air in, with getting the air out. So mm-hmm. it's very difficult for people who are having an asthma exacerbation to get all their air out. But as soon as you're not able to get air out, there's not enough room for the fresh air to come in either. So it, it kind of it affects breathing in that way. The inhalers that we have relax those, those smooth muscle in those small airways, are as though it, like the albuterol does, the fast-acting inhaler. And then the steroid inhalers sort of prevent for that inflammatory reaction from happening in the first place. So people who use steroid inhalers, those are things that you use once or twice a day every day as mm-hmm. a preventive measure.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: yeah. excellent. Well, it's time for us to go to our first break, and we'll give our listeners an opportunity to call in with any of your questions. We're talking about lung health today, but we're always happy to answer any questions that you may have. So give us a call at 605 692 1430. 605-692-1430. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Lung
2: cancer is the leading cause of cancer death in the United States. Cigarette smoking is the number one cause of lung cancer, but it can also be caused by other forms of tobacco like t- pipes and cigars or breathing secondhand smoke or being exposed to asbestos or radon. We also are concerned with people who have a family history of lung cancer. Lung cancer symptoms may include coughing that gets worse and doesn't go away, chest pain, shortness of breath, wheezing and coughing up blood. Other illnesses that can cause these, these symptoms should be investigated as well. If you have any symptoms, talk to your doctor. For help to quit smoking, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW or visit cdc.gov slash quit. Your provider at the Avera Medical Group is a good resource to discuss lung symptoms. Call 697-9500 for an appointment.
0: Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call with your questions at 605 692 1430. 605 692 1430. Dr. Evans, your Prairie Doc essay this week talks about kind of chronic cough and mm-hmm. it just won't go away. Right. What causes that?
1: You know, I, we I see th- this scenario so often in my clinic. I feel like I've ha- had this verbal interaction with patients a hundred times. So okay. the, that's the essay was yeah, very easy your to feel. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I mean, the part of the point is that not all cough is from the lungs themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So cough can come from other reasons, and of course, you know trying to define what's chronic cough as part of that. So cough that goes on for two months or more without sort of improving. I've seen, I I would say this time of year, I see a lot of patients who come in and they're like, doc, I had this terrible cold a month ago and all the other symptoms are gone, but I just can't shake this this cough. Well, that's really common. That's Mm -hmm. like a post-infectious cough. It has to do with just the airways healing up. And a lot of people will experience an annoying cough for, four, six, eight weeks Mm. after having a a respiratory infection. So I usually just tell people to give it time in that case. Um, But if it goes on for longer than that, it's part, of our, part of the initial assessment is sort of a risk assessment because, of course, things in the lungs can cause cough, and so we need to be mindful of that. So, you know, sometimes lung cancer presents with a cough. Usually there's other symptoms as well. Sometimes, you know, COPD or emphysema, it, cough is a very common symptom of that. Um, so knowing, especially smoking and exposure history, is important. But assuming the patient is maybe low risk for those things, maybe they never smoked in their lifetime or have a very light smoke, Smoking history. Um, There are many other. things that are pretty benign that can cause cough and so the the common things be, we talked about asthma so mm-hmm. asthma you know I think people think about asthma as the classic sort of <clears throat> wheezing tight breathing it's not always that sometimes especially mild asthma is just sort of a dry cough especially at nighttime or with certain exposures and that kind of thing um, so talk like ass- assessing did, you know did you have asthma as a child maybe is this a return of that like I said simple breathing tests in the office can help us deduce whether asthma might be the case maybe we just try an albuterol inhaler and see if it helps the patient's symptoms stay at bay and that's sort of a testing strategy So that's one common reason. Another really common reason is what I call post-nasal drip, meaning, you know, we all make mucus up in our nose. It doesn't always come out the front of our nose into a Kleenex, but a lot of it drains down the back of our throat, right? And so I ask patients, do you notice, like, are are you doing a lot of swallowing of mucus, a lot of clearing of your throat of mucus? And if that's the case, it might just be that irritation of the mucus on, like, The larynx and upper airways that's causing the cough, and so we try to reduce that mucus production. And so for that, we usually try a nasal steroid spray, something like a you know FloNase is a common one that people Mm -hmm. use. Or there's generics, and these are all over the counter. Um, But usually, if that seems likely, we'll just try the treatment and see if it works over the course of a month or two. And then another common reason is actually acid reflux. So, Mm -hmm. and you know this is another thing that sometimes surprises patients. You know, I don't have classic heartburn. I'm not like waking. up at night with pain in my chest from heartburn. But sometimes a little acid if it is trickles up high enough into the throat again irritates those upper airways and causes a cough. And so sometimes we will just try treatment for that. And I always tell people, you know, if we're doing a trial of treatment, I don't expect you to stop coughing tomorrow. You know, it's going to take enough time to to treat the source of the cough and then let that upper airway heal. So give it a month or two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes if, if there's diagnostic question, sometimes if people will see like, for example, an ear, nose and throat doctor for some of these symptoms and they actually put a camera down into the throat, they can be a little bit more definitive about what the likely cause is because things like reflux cause the airway to look a certain way. Um, but usually in my clinic, if, if everything else seems benign, it's a little bit of trial and error when it comes to chronic cough.
0: You mentioned some breathing tests that you might do in the mm-hmm. clinic. What are those and how yeah, do they Yeah, so work? this
1: is basic spirometry. So, um, you know... Some spirometry. Spirometry. Okay. So this is basically... This helps us especially understand if someone might have asthma or COPD, which are a similar type of pattern of illness in the lungs. And so we would have you go and basically sort of blow really hard into a machine for a series of tries. And, and the numbers that we get out of that machine um, help us understand if you might have that type of lung disease. Um, sometimes that is all we need. You know, it is consistent with asthma and, and we should try that. Sometimes it's normal and then that's helpful. Sometimes it's abnormal in a different way that says, well, this probably isn't asthma or obstructive disease, but there's something else going on in the lungs, and that might lead us to further testing. But it's pretty accessible, just the basic spirometry, more accessible even than doing what we call full PFTs, which requires kind of a special chamber and more equipment.
0: Is it possible to all of a sudden have asthma as an adult, have it's possible. Never had issues. And yeah, have... it's possible. We okay. see
1: it. And again, you know, sometimes there's a spectrum of asthma and COPD. So, you know, sometimes those two things are a little bit hard to separate. But yeah, we do see people who have asthma in adulthood who never had it as children. I would say it's less common than the converse, you know, the child who has asthma and then it gets better as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, imp- it's not totally out of the spectrum of possible
0: okay Mm -hmm. well it's time for us to go to our next break we thank you for listening to prairie doc radio on kbrk and on our podcast call us now at 605-692-1430 with any questions you would like us to address 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group.
2: Shingles, also called herpes zoster, is a painful rash disease. Shingles can lead to severe nerve pain called postherpetic neuralgia that can last for months or years after the rash goes away. Shingles is caused by the varicella zoster virus, the same virus that causes chickenpox. If you've had chickenpox, you can get shingles. Almost 1 out of 3 people in the United States will develop shingles in their lifetime. You can get shingles at any age but it's more common in older adults older adults also are more likely to have severe disease the center for disease control recommends that people age 50 and older get the shingles vaccine called shingrex set an appointment to discuss shingles with your provider at the Avera Medical Group, Brookings.
0: Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc Physician. Kelly Evans is here to discuss our medical questions. Give us a call with your questions at 605 692 1430. 605 692 1430. This week in the Prairie Doc programming, we are focusing on our lungs and our lung health. Dr. Evans, let's talk a little bit more about air quality. I feel like last summer was a unique summer, different than anything I'd had really growing Mm. up, where we had a lot of kind of smoke issues Mm -hmm. and warnings and even Mm -hmm. events canceled due to air quality, uh, which is not common around here, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it'll be more common. I don't know. But what, what are some of those reasons that We're canceling events due to air quality. Like, what are the concerns? Yeah. I mean, so
1: it really does have to do with inhaling these tiny particles that are in the air that irritate the lungs. And so people with chronic lung disease like asthma, but other lung diseases too, are going to be more susceptible to having problems from that. But I mean... I can think of a couple of my own patients who have asthma and other lung disease that actually were hospitalized for exacerbations in subsequent to things like those fire, bad air quality times that we had last year. So this is a, it's absolutely a real thing. Um, I would say if you if you read much written by like climate scientists, this is one of the big concerns about things like less stable um, climate and global Warming overall is with more fires, et cetera. We're going to have more problems with air quality. Um, but also, you know, even the average person, you know, I'm a runner, for example. So I, I know that I've taken... Maybe a, a not the smartest um, decision and gone on a run on some of these days with bad air quality and experienced things like headache and fatigue and just feeling kind of rotten for mm-hmm. that day afterwards, um, just a, as a response to that. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it is worth paying attention to, depending on where you live, and trying to spend less time unprotected out in the poor air quality on those days when we are having it.
0: What might be, so for a generally healthy person Mm -hmm. like you or I, and we go out and do some of these events, what might be some of those, long-term consequences? Because similar to you, I've noticed maybe I get a little bit of a foggy headache type Mm -hmm. of a feeling, just kind of not feeling quite like myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, But maybe in a day or two, I'm I'm better. But what might some of those long-term consequences might be if we expose ourselves?
1: You know, Laura, I don't know that I have a great answer on long-term consequences, especially for adults. I would say there's good data just based on sort of epidemiology in different parts of the world that places with sort of more chronic bad air quality mm-hmm. so cities around the world with bad smog and air pollution have higher rates of childhood asthma so like the the effect on kids is probably more well defined than as far than long term effects on adults
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah we're so we're lucky to live here for yeah. a lot of reasons and for One, we usually have pretty good air quality, but yeah, I was recently listening to a news story about, you know, Salt Lake City and the inversion. We lived in Boise during Andrew's Mm -hmm. residency and got to experience the inversion a couple times there where you're down in the city below this cloud of... grossness (laughs) and you're just breathing that air and then we would drive out of town maybe 40 minutes to get above it Mm -hmm. we'd go up um, to a higher elevation just to get some fresh air and uh, we're lucky here in Brookings and most of South Dakota we don't have to base our lives around some of those things usually right so right and I I, you know
1: I think the last couple of years has been it's easy to live in a place like this and not feel affected by things like air pollution very often Mm -hmm. and you know Not care about that. But I think, you know, those forest fires that happened thousands of miles away and actually affected our air quality in the last couple of years maybe is a good reminder that actually the state of our atmosphere
0: should matter to all of us, right? right? So
1: if there's things that we can do to help, then we should care.
0: That's exactly what my <laughs> fifth grader is learning about right now in school. Mm-hmm. They're learning about the atmosphere and all these things and how they're all connected. i like, yeah. oh, you need to bring home your stuff so I can read that. It's been <laughs> a long time since I've learned about all of that, but uh, it's totally fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk more about air quality and some of the things we can do to protect our lungs in, with different even work hazards. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm thinking dust or working in factories or some of those things that maybe we don't think about and then maybe should be. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, there's certainly plenty of occupations in which it is – very important to wear a high filtration mask, you Mm -hmm. know, like, and that's something like an N95 type of filter that we're all much more familiar with than we were five years ago. But, you know, there are some workers who have, have used those types of protection for many years. Um, And most workplaces, you know, are regulated in a way that if, if, the work is hazardous enough; they should be um, enforcing that. But of course, ultimately, it, it is important. Um, there are some other unique occupations in which lung health is a huge topic. So, like coal miners, is mm-hmm. a is a big one. Those people are at risk for very severe lung disease if they're unprotected. Um, and you know that that may be something that's even gotten more hazardous over time, just with the tools that they use. And interestingly the The hazard to coal miners has nothing to do with the coal itself or the burning of the coal, and everything to do with the drilling through the rock to get to the coal. So they inhale these tiny little pieces of silica, which are within the rock that they're they're drilling through, and that's what injures the lungs. Mm. So there are a lot of occupational things that go along with chronic lung disease, and um, yeah, it, it and bad lung disease in a young person is a really terrible thing honestly it's such a huge impact on quality of life so um you know i I think the the hard thing is for the you know 20 year old that's going in you just feel like in all aspects of life feel invincible but important to actually wear that protection yeah Mm -hmm.
0: so i grew up on a hog farm Mm -hmm. and i didn't Go out too often to help in the hog barns, but occasionally, when mm. I had a job out there to do, and my parents always had a mask, uh, like an mm. N95 mask, mm-hmm. for us to wear when we were out there. Sure. And, um, looking back, I'm like, oh, that, that's just what we did, you know, like it was just like what right. was expected. But looking back, I'm like, oh, that was probably really smart, you right. know, being out in the hog barn and mm-hmm. uh, the dust and the different particles right. out there to just protect. All of our lungs yeah so yes yeah had Good a job. hook with my mask on it yeah. and that's what i'd have to wear <laughs> if we had to go help for a little bit out out in the hog barn. so mm-hmm. they must have had some sort of i don't know campaign or something for the farmers yeah. to make sure they were aware right to to be doing that right so, mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting. All right. Well, it's time for us to go to our final break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. We have a few minutes left if you want to call us with your questions at 605 692 1430, 605 692 1430. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group.
2: If you have diabetes, these lifestyle changes can help lower your risk for heart disease. Follow a healthy diet eat more fresh fruits and vegetables, lean protein and whole grain. Aim for a healthy weight. If you're overweight, even losing a modest amount of weight can lower your triglycerides and blood sugar. Get physical activity. Try to get at least 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity physical activity such as brisk walking. Manage your ABCs. A, your A1C test, B, keep your blood pressure below 140 over 90, and C, control your cholesterol levels. S stands for Stop Smoking or Don't Start. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Call your provider with questions or to set up an appointment, 697-9500.
0: Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call with your questions at 605-692-1430. Dr. Evans, we have a question here. What should I do if I get more winded when exercising than I used to?
1: Mm -hmm. It's a great question, and it's a question that I receive a lot in clinic. So I think you should talk to your doctor about it is sort of the bottom line. The hardest task with this complaint is trying to separate, okay, is this, is this ab, could this be normal aging or is this abnormal? So I have, I ask a lot more specific questions. Okay. What, what were, what did you, what were you able to do a year ago that you can't do now? And what's the degree of change? Um, But if there is really sort of what I would consider more of a pathologic change and inability to um, sustain exercise, you know, how fast you're having to stop to catch your breath and rest. The the other thing about this complaint is that it might not just be the lungs, right? So there's a lot of factors that can go into this exercise tolerance. So... I I find things like anemia, you know, so some very basic things. We always check blood counts because if we have an unexpected anemia, that will make you unable to carry the oxygen around your body, which will make you feel that way. Um, Heart problems can cause this. So things like heart failure and other things. So we look for other physical exam findings, maybe think about their health history a little bit more. And then certainly lung disease can do this too. So it really is very patient dependent on how I proceed with the workup in this case, um, and and so it might involve like i said blood testing testing of the heart lung testing like the breathing test that we talk about um and if if occasionally we do all this and we don't find anything that appears to be abnormal. And so then I say, well, th- this may be just sort of a, a change in your body as you get mm-hmm. older, depending, you know, dep- again, depending on the person's age, and maybe we need to modify your exercise, but still exercise is good. So if everything checks out good, we talk about, okay, how are we going to implement an exercise program that maybe allows you to increase your exercise tolerance again? Um, but Talking about it and figuring out what testing is appropriate is definitely important, but dependent on the patient. So,
0: yeah, Mm -hmm. our lungs are something that I don't know what that we can um, improve. Right. If maybe an yeah. effort, like yeah. we can, so, make I mean, there's then. great
1: evidence in in people who do have chronic lung disease, like severe COPD, in things like pulmonary rehab, which is very. It's similar to cardiac rehab, which okay. you know I know we've talked about on the program before. Just monitored exercise program that that helps people's quality of life in a big way. So definitely, like exercise program, if a regular exercise program will improve your exercise capacity. Mm-hmm. Part of that being your lungs. Mm-hmm. So yeah,
0: absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a singer in college mm-hmm. and you can definitely notice if you've been exercising your lungs sure. and how long you can phrase and hold your breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you haven't been for a while, how you kind of work your way back up to that again. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: And mm-hmm. that, you know, that that's it, a little bit of a different skill as far as lung capacity, but it's, mm-hmm. it's using those breathing muscles, right? So I, it's it, just like any other musculature, if you don't, use it you might lose it so yeah
0: okay you're an example well before we go please be sure to tune in to south dakota public broadcasting television and the prairie doc facebook page for on call with the prairie doc most thursdays starting at 7 p.m central join us this coming thursday february 29th on sdpb television as dr kelly evans will host a new live on call with the prairie doc Dr. Evans will be joined by Dr. Michael Pietella from the Yankton Medical Clinic and Dr. Sven Sinna from Prairie Lakes Healthcare System in Watertown. They will be discussing pulmonary medicine and lung health. So, tune in tomorrow night on SDPB television. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and we'll listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org and look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Kelly Evans for joining us today. And as Dr your home would say
1: stay healthy out there people